Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Francisco L. Borges and the Melville Charitable Trust. Okay, um, go over the plan one more time because I'm not sure I really get it. We're going to put you in that special suit, cover you with pig's blood, and put you down there where the 20-foot-long anaconda is. And the anaconda will swallow you whole. And then what? It'll poop you out, eventually. See, there's something I'm not picking up on here. Maybe you're going too fast or something. Or, I don't know, maybe I'm being too literal. Am I being too literal? It sounds almost like uh, someone or something is going to eat me. So The anaconda. Okay, and who is who is this anaconda? No, it's a snake. The world's largest snake. I don't think that was really spelled out during the audition in New York. People hear what they want to hear. All right, so the snake is trying to swallow me, and I'm fighting it off, and at the last moment, your people hit it with what? Some kind of laser that blows its head to smithereens? (laughs) No, we don't kill the snake. The snake swallows you. Your suit has a microphone, so you can tell us what you see in there. What I what I see in there? What do you think this is, the reading room of the New York Public Library? Do you think there's like a desk lamp in there? Uh, no. Uh, this is to help people understand the value of the Amazon rainforest. How does that happen? Look at this great place where the snake ate that lady. I'm not doing it. Is there anything else you would consider? How about if you run through the jungle wearing a monkey costume until a jaguar jumps on your back? N- no. You could lie very still while a vampire bat sucks the blood out of you? of place is this? You could step on a freshwater Amazon River stingray and one swipe of its tail pierces your leg and injects you with poisonous slime. I don't think that that's not even a real thing. It totally is. These are amazing aquatic animals. Okay, how about if I join hands with semi-naked attractive villagers and we uh, sing a song of peace or something? And then piranhas eat you? Yeah, something like that. Today on the show, the snake that did not swallow, the Pope who let dogs into heaven, and the Harvard professor who went to court over $4. And now the star of Angels with Pooper Scoopers, Colin McEnroe. That's right. It's uh, because of the Pope's decision to let dogs into heaven. Uh, We're making the movie Angels with Pooper Scoopers. Uh, It's it's like a holiday thing. All right, so it's time uh, to do the nose. We're really excited about that. <laughs> we really are excited about this. I mean, here's the problem with the nose this week is that I can always tell that James sort of wants to do one thing that has some real substance to it. <laughs> but the really insubstantial things were so alluring this week. So they glittered on the shelf. Uh, so uh, it's like such appealing baubles that we just couldn't even we couldn't accommodate him. So joining us from the Mark Twain house is uh, Tracy Wu Fastenberg from Trinity Cine Studio uh, is James Hanley and uh, from her own uh, kinetic dance troupe uh, and uh, the and her, well you'll be hearing all about the Nutcracker but covered with uh, eyeglass glue and glitter uh, Carolyn Payne actress comedian writer and dance impresario uh, but we'll come to all that. Um, although we could, you could just quickly say because people should they could order their tickets right now while they're listening. They to you. should. Yes, you can go online www.kineticdance.com, and uh, that's c o n n e t i c dance d a n c e dot com, and get your tickets. We open tonight and run all weekend. To the Nutcracker, the Nutcracker, sweet and spicy. Mm. 
I, I went last year. It's really fun. I mean, it's the Nutcracker Suite as you've never seen it before. They actually do have an anaconda on stage this year. <laughs> wearing and, an ugly uh, sweater. Wearing right. an ugly Christmas sweater. Yes, and tap shoes. Yes. Swallows the sugar, or a tap shoe. Swallows the sugar plum fairy whole. All right. So <laughs> we're not, we, uh, as much as we want to get right to the anaconda, we can't. Because whenever James Hanley is on, for some reason or other, the Pope does something. And I, so the Pope, uh, I, I don't even, you're not even Catholic, are you? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> He's not even that big a fan of the Pope. I was made to, to go to Catholic school for a while because my father was a teacher there. So the, it was like free education. But um, I can't say that I was philosophically aligned. Well, uh, trying to console a distraught little boy whose dog had died, Pope Francis told him in a recent public appearance on St. Peter's Square, paradise is open to all of God's creatures. Now, these this would be in the category of an informal remark. Although, you know, you're the Pope, you're dressed as the Pope, you're at St. Peter's Square. It's not that informal. It's not like you can walk it back. Um, so. <laughs> Does that child have an agent? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, so this has really kind of opened a Pandora's box uh, because uh, for, for lots of different reasons. And ter- it turns out to be a, a lot more stakeholders about whether animals can go to heaven than I would have necessarily guessed. I would not have guessed even that there were such things as um, a director of Christian outreach and engagement for PETA, the uh, animal rights organization. That's what didn't shock me. Yeah, I, that they have a Christian outreach person. I had to read that about three times because mm-hmm. I'm like, how does one say I'm qualified for that yeah, job? Yeah, no, I know. I well, so James, I, you are our now our expert on Catholic theology. So I'll let you start this conversation off anywhere you want to. Well, I've been studying for some time now on theology, but um, no, the thing that actually struck me with uh, that whole thing. Um, with the uh, Peter having a, an outreach, a Christian outreach was one thing, but they they also got a statement from the National Pork Producers Council <laughs> <laughs> to to reassure you that it was still okay to eat pork and and the, that you know slaughtering animals was okay and and it seemed like a sort of like they rushed out with this statement to make sure that people weren't going to start wondering about pigs and cows going to heaven, but um, the thing that really. I don't know. I mean, where do you start with something like this? I mean, it's like it's like an an employment sinecure for armies of theologists and people online and pages and pages of parsing as to whether a mosquito has more right to heaven than a dog. And there was also, I thought, the key to this in the whole article was the um, the actual uh, statement by, I presume, an academic to say that actually the Pope had made a pastoral statement, which in that context was not uh, free to be parsed by academics. So therefore, you couldn't have the discussion. And I, I was intrigued by that idea that there's a pastoral statement, sort of like a comforting thing, as if the statement that to the child who had lost the dog, who the dog had died, that uh, the Pope could say something nice to the child and say, don't worry, you'll meet the dog in heaven, and have it not really be true that it was a pastoral statement just of comfort, but that it didn't really mean anything. I, I mean, I could go on, but... So does, <laughs> does that it, mean, I don't like... I the Pope's allowed to say things that don't mean anything. <laughs> right. yeah. so, well, so is it infallible? I, I, I don't well, know. It may not be infallible, we'll but you, the, the Pope can't be telling little white lies. I mean, can no. he? I don't think so. Um, well, I, first of all, I want to say that I read the entire New York Times article out loud to my dog Ralph today. Ralph is 14 and a half years old, and if you looked at him, you would wonder what he was still really actually doing here on Earth. But uh, he apparently feels he has more work to do here that mostly seems to involve eating. Um, but um, He wanted the okay from the Pope that he was going to go to heaven. Right. That's what he's waiting for. for yeah. 
I have I have theological questions too, which I'd be happy to pose to any of you. But I don't know. Do you want to just react to what James is saying, or I I think that you're absolutely right. The Pope should not be telling little white lies. That a pastoral comment should be taken at what it is. I mean, so a priest saying to someone, "Well, you know, your your mother was baptized and you know had her first communion confirmed. She she's in heaven." So then do you get to question that as well? You know, it's sort of the same vein. I understand human versus dog, but... um, I mean, there is a serious side to this in the sense of, like, if you have uh, rules, if you're going to start laying out rules and say one thing is better than another, like if you're a believer, you get something that, that you don't get if you're not a believer, and then you start to make comments about things like dogs or pets, you know, beloved pets, and you get yourself into a really thorny swamp, really, that you can't get out of. I mean, because you're talking about privilege and special deals and, like, whether a person... I mean, so how can you prove something to somebody sort of theologically that the dog has no soul and therefore doesn't deserve to be in heaven? I have seen signs outside churches where they're like, blessing of the animals this Sunday. That's right. Mm -hmm. That's right. Is it animals that are blessed that he's referring to? Well, like, I mean, we we are not allowed to parse this statement. Uh, oh, that's <laughs> right. I forgot. But oh, then again, sorry. we're not necessarily academics, so we are allowed to rip this apart <laughs> oh, as much right. as we want. Yeah, as long as you don't have a, an advanced degree, you the, can say it. The statement, as quoted, was that paradise is open to all animals. Now, does that is not the same thing. As paradise is open to all of God's creatures. It's not the same thing as saying that they all get in. Like I feel like mamba snakes probably shouldn't <laughs> get in at all. And 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 it does raise the question. I mean, as James was saying, not everybody supposedly gets into heaven. So I mean, I mean, people don't all go to get to go to heaven. So I don't think all animals should either. I My mean, cat certainly isn't. The cat is not going. <laughs> your to heaven? cat is not going to heaven. <laughs> <laughs> what is your cat that's, that's so horrible? Remember she attacked the cable? Oh, that's right. Guy? That's right. <laughs> I your can't cat, get a cable serviceman <laughs> into my house anymore. <laughs> that's right. She can't. I've forgotten about the cat that attacked the cable. Yeah. 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 In fact, you know, the anaconda snake thing, I was watching that and I was like, if I let my cat attack me, can I get a reality show for it? There Are you, you getting ahead of You're getting ahead of the next <laughs> is there, topic. Is there a purgatory for animals? Uh, see that, that that now we're getting deep. Uh, we're way above <laughs> way, way above my pay grade. But I do think I mean it's it, like it, probation, right? Yeah. Yes. It was just sort of I was surprised by the the speed at which, and this goes back to James's original point, all sorts of people swung into action on this. I mean, I would have thought it was this kind of charming little thing that 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 the Pope said, you know, that might be kind of fun to talk about. But first of all, I mean, according to the senior director of faith outreach at the Humane Society, again, I didn't know they had these positions, but uh, Christine uh, Guttelbin said, my inbox got flooded. Almost immediately, everybody was talking about it. And then the article quotes all these professors of theology uh, about all this. And yes, there's a Christian outreach uh, and engagement person for PETA. Uh, And then, of course, yes, the spokesperson for the National Pork Producers uh, Council said um, they certainly do not mean that slaughtering and eating animals is a sin. Uh, he points out that in Genesis, man is given dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens uh, and over the, every living thing that moves on earth and told that it's okay to use gestation crates. Uh, and no, that's not actually in the Bible. Uh, and <laughs> so he says, well, so while that dominion means use for, every hum, for human benefit, it also requires stewardship, humane care and feeding which I might add the pig industry does not engage in for the most part, (laughs) something all farmers who raise animals practice every day of the year, not actually true. But, yeah, go ahead, James. I was going to say, you know, that particular statement about dominion over the fish and the birds and the animals and stuff, that seemed to come out of a prepared 
thing that somehow was ready to go. <laughs> I mean, that was really quick to it's come like up with something like that. It's like they have this fear that everyone port- is just going to yeah. turn right. vegetarian. That they've been the- meeting for months, you yeah. know, and like, like had this statement <laughs> this ready. This is what we do in case everyone stops eating <laughs> <Yeah>. meat. <laughs> for religious reasons, you know, yeah. for biblical reasons. Right, so. exactly. I mean, it's, it's really um, because it, it, that particular term saying that you have dominion, so you can basically use animals in any way you want. <laughs> and it, it it sort of like seemed a very self-serving f- piece of boilerplate that had been worked on. So that means you could use the same quote for, you know, cockfighting yeah. or, you know, all sure. kinds of other things, too. That's right. And I people suppose. do. I mean, that quote gets uh, – I should say we're going to be moving on to another topic pretty quickly. But if you did have something you wanted to say about this, 860-275-7266, 860-275-7266. But that Dominion quote is – it's trotted out a lot. It's trotted out uh, – in fairly serious conversations about environmental stewardship and stuff like that, but, um, but not by the pork producers. Well, you know, I've seen it. I've seen. I, I think when Peter Singer wrote *Animal Liberation*, which was you know one of the really groundbreaking books about the rights of animals, and whether that would have been about maybe 1980-ish, maybe a little bit later than that. I, I, I remember that that was one of the that quote from the Bible was sort of brought out because Singer's fundamental argument was that animals have rights and, and that they have – they're able to uh, – they have interest. In other words, an animal has an interest in not being killed uh, and it's something that, ha- that can have an interest has a right. Uh, and so as he began to explore that, the counterargument was often – I mean one of the counterarguments was there's a theological basis for us getting to – being able to do to pigs whatever we want to. Um, so, you know, it's – but I, I'm – it does actually open up a range of serious conversations. And as one of the other pe- – the animal rights people said, well, yeah, you know, so we have to take care of – if animals are worthy to go to paradise, then we have to be nicer to them. Um, not that we will or anything, but uh, <laughs> We do have a call coming in. We are going to have to switch over uh, pretty quickly. We have four different topics that we'll be attempting here on the nose uh, today. We are going to move over uh, just slightly from animals going to heaven <laughs> to anacondas who disappoint us. Uh, I'm just <laughs> and waiting. don't get to go to heaven. All right. I'm just waiting to see. I'm just l- l- see if I see if I can let. So, um, so as we're doing this a little bit later in the show, as I say, we'll be talking, telling the story of Ben Edelman. He's a Harvard Harvard Business School professor who is a little bit of a self-appointed sheriff of the internet, but was very. But look at Woo. She's tracing, shaking her head already. This one, <laughs> this one really got her dander up. Uh, all right. So we'll, anyway, we'll be telling you the story of the uh, out-of-date Chinese menu and how it almost brought down civilization. But here's Mike in Hartford. Hi, Mike. How you doing, Colin? Good. Uh, I listen to your show quite a bit. You know, you're, you're a good dude on the radio. I like NPR a lot. Uh, I'm just a little annoyed at your kind of chuckling and cavalier attitude towards the Catholic religion at this point uh, with your panel there, because uh, I don't see this kind of attitude with the approach to other religions, you know. Well, first of all, I don't. I don't think we're. We may be chuckling. I mean, chuckling doesn't uh, necessarily in, in mean hostility. I mean, in fact, a lot of us in the, here in this room are big fans of Pope Francis and the fact that he's kind of been willing to bring this up. But I think you also have to have a little bit of a sense of humor about this stuff. I mean, to to whatever degree the the church. I mean, as I just said, it's a really serious subject in the sense that if you take what Pope Francis said absolutely seriously. You, then, then there's a, then there's an argument for you and me, Mike, to become vegetarians and to completely reevaluate how animals are treated, and certainly never to buy meat that's been that's from an animal that's been mistreated. In other words, if animals have a sufficiently divine status that they're welcome in paradise, then 
then, you know, the people who aren't taking the Catholic religion seriously are, is anybody who doesn't become a vegan tomorrow, would you say? Uh, yeah, I guess that's open to debate. Uh, my whole point is, I'm not, I'm not going to sit here and debate the tenets of the religion. Uh, my whole point is I just don't see that sort of a, you know, lighthearted approach towards other religions too much. Uh, I'm kind of curious, you know, let's say if you had a program uh, uh, talking about Islam and with this kind of lighthearted nature, I would imagine you get a lot of calls and a lot of uh, input. Objection noted, Mike. Uh, we are going to move on to anacondas here. So um, tomorrow, uh, excuse me, earlier this week, uh, television viewers, including Carolyn Payne, uh, were promised a certain kind of television viewer, the kind of television viewer who would make room in her schedule. <laughs> Truth. <laughs> would go out of her way to make sure she was comfortably seated on the sofa in front of the TV in order to see what was promised to be the live consumption of a human being by an anaconda. Uh, well, I'll let you pick up the story there. So you knew about this in advance. I was not aware that this... I was aware. Uh, I, I had heard about it, and we even we made a, a night of it. We got gummy worms, so it was kind of like an <laughs> interactive viewing experience in reverse. <laughs> So they promised that what you were going to be watching was a man wearing a special suit baiting a snake into eating him, and then they would safely remove him from the snake by killing the snake and getting the man out whole. So what happened was not at all that. First of all, they couldn't get the snake. That They were looking for this live snake, but they were unable to locate this 25-foot anaconda. So they got one out of captivity, as I understand, then this snake that they brought out of captivity had no interest in this man who was in his, like, tin suit. Covered with pig's blood. Co covered in pig's blood, yeah. He looked really appetizing. So, obviously, the snake was like, no, nah, thanks, I'm good. And uh, did wrap around him. I think he, like, dislocated his arm or something well, in the he, process. He did say the guy, he was the guy's complaining about his arm. Yeah, yeah. I think that I, I, he hurt his arm somehow, and the guy ended up tapping out, being like, I need out, I need out. So, nothing happened. Two hours of this show, you know, the dude covered in pig blood did not get eaten by a snake. It was not even the snake I was promised. It was the <laughs> TV letdown of the season. <sighs> Wait, hold on a second. So, <laughs> back up. So, the, the snake, two hours of the snake not eating this guy. That's well, two he, full hours. He did was, he just wrap around him and just like... Uh, no, he, he did get his head into his the head. snake. He at least his head he did. and maybe a little okay. bit of shoulders yeah, to yeah. it. And he got a little ways into the snake and was there for somewhere between 30 minutes to an hour, I, yeah, I think. Yeah, I, and, and, and that was real. I mean, it was kind of like watching paint dry at that point because you just have this guy sitting with his like head in a snake and... And executives uh, watching their meters, you know, looking at the viewers dropping off at that point. Yeah, and he's it, on like a mic, and he sounds like, you know, it sounds like he's in space. He's like, <laughs> it has that, it had that one small swallow for a snake, one giant leap for mankind kind of thing. It, it was really. I mean, the snake, rather than eating him, the snake kind of tasted him. Yeah, you know? yeah. <laughs> Maybe they had a dress rehearsal and it didn't go so well, and the snake was like behaving badly because of that. No, that, no, that was Peter Pan. That was last week. Because <laughs> um, in the video that, that we saw, this sort of shortened version, thank God that you guys did not make me sit through two hours of that, it seemed a little more exciting than that it's because, such a you know. Big baby. <laughs> It seemed a little more exciting, and I'm using air quotes here, than that because you know there was some action that well, was, it was so like they much condensed. Just, yeah, I mean, pared if you it took down this to that special and, and condensed it, sure, it would appear to have a little bit more pop and sizzle to it. A but great four minute special, right? Yeah. 
This this man uh, has uh, first of all, I mean, I, and I'm not entirely sympathetic to this man. His name is Paul Rosalie. He's a, a naturalist uh, and a, a filmmaker, and he was doing this to call attention to the Amazon, although, as we pointed out in our introduction, it seems like an odd way to really sort of show the world that the Amazon needs preservation. I agree it needs pres- preservation, but why, why do this? And he really has sort of come in for a certain amount of, uh, of criticism and uh, even uh, ridicule uh, at times, and I, and I don't want to pile on. On the other hand, my problem with it was, so the, an anaconda is um, the world's largest snake. It's also a constricting snake, so it crushes what it, it's going to eat and then eats it. And so having set himself up for this, he seemed kind of surprised that it hurt, you know? <laughs> you know? Like he thought it was going to be, I don't know how he pictured this. Do your homework, dude. But it was <laughs> sort of like he, he seemed like, wow, my, this really, my arm is hurting. Yeah. You know? It's an anaconda. But it's also, isn't it true probably that the snake wouldn't want to actually ingest him until it had killed him, squeezed him? Right, right. right. And so I was that, was, uh, about. that part of it wasn't going to work either. It's I, like they put ten minutes of thought into this, yeah. but but here's the thing that is that we can discuss not entirely seriously, but semi seriously, which is that I don't know if Carolyn is in this particular cohort, but that a lot of people got on Twitter and really complained, right? That people was the were, best part. <laughs> as, as you know, I hate Twitter. I think it's a little trouble causer, and I I do it vaguely sometimes. But I went to I, I went on Twitter to follow this because I do enjoy seeing what masses have to say about hot messes like this, and they did not disappoint. It was amazing. People just kept going. They were just outraged that they didn't get to see a man eaten by a snake. No, I, I mean, I was kind of outraged too, but I wasn't going <laughs> to post that on Twitter. Like, no one died tonight. Like, <laughs> it was ridiculous. The the lengths that people went to on Twitter. For people are twisted, and I'm gonna lump you in right there with it. I mean, I, disappointed. yeah, but like, okay, so back up a little bit <laughs> again. The end result was going to be once he was eaten, he was going to be removed from the snake by the natural process, or no, by yeah, too late? like no. yanking yeah. him yeah. out, or no, they, they were gonna kill the snake. Okay, then how the heck is that going to raise awareness for exactly. the Amazon yeah. if that was the end result was a dead snake? Yeah, I'm not really sure how this got approved by anybody. You know, this is like what, yeah, but I guess everyone's talking about it. It was great because what else are people watching on, what was it, what network was it, Discovery? Yeah, I think it was Discovery, yeah. Yeah, so I mean, but it it is confusing what they're <laughs> start to finish this whole thing seems very sick and twisted and poorly thought out from from the very which is what yeah, made it great the concept TV. of it all the way down <laughs> to the twitter verse complaining about it everything about this is weird and twisted if the honey boo boo people had thought of this they'd still be on the air um <laughs> Maybe the snake would have eaten Honey Boo Boo. Right, well. I think this is bad. all the fault of cable systems now having hundreds of channels. I mean, if there were only like 60, we'd be, we'd, we wouldn't be doing it. Well, if, they had, if there were 60 and somebody thought of this, <laughs> they'd do it. And, and just the fact that there was someone willing to actually go along with this. And I do love the fact that in his sort of a public apology to this, Paul Rosalie said, I had every intention of being eaten alive. You know, I mean, and you got to, you know. You, you got to hand it to him. He, was gen- he genuinely wanted to get eaten for the I, public. I think he means it. He was ready to take one for the team. And <laughs> as, as you point I, out, maybe the snake had to be too. Had to. All right, we've got to take a little break. We've got to come back. We have to have time for Tracy Wu Fasterbird to get really mad. <laughs> like, really mad. Like, you've never seen her before. We'll be back after this. When I'm through, I hope I'm going to dog heaven. 
All right, so we're back. Uh, we couldn't have Tracy Wu Fastenberg on and not discuss uh, this particular topic. Not to make it all about ethnicity, but on the other hand, that definitely pushed some of her buttons as we were uh, getting ready this week. So you, you probably know about this because it really did turn into kind of an Internet saga. Maybe you don't know about Internet sagas, though. A 34-year-old lawyer and Harvard Business School professor named Benjamin Edelman who has actually been called the sheriff of the Internet because he does uh, police companies who commit uh, online consumer fraud, stuff like that. He's gone after Facebook and uh, other big giants. Uh, went after not such a giant. I guess big giants is kind of redundant. Not such a giant this week, a mom-and-pop Chinese restaurant in Brookline, Massachusetts. The restaurant had overcharged him $4 for a takeout order. The reason for this uh, was that their online menu hadn't been updated to reflect their current prices. Uh, the uh, owner of the restaurant, Mr. Ron Duan, um, tried to do a lot of things to placate um, uh, Edelman. Edelman was v- very hard to placate. Uh, he didn't just want his overcharge uh, remitted to him. He wanted triple the overcharge because he was, felt it was an intentional violation and uh, said there were actually statutes to back him up on that. He threatened to con- contact the authorities. He did contact the authorities. Um, uh, it went on and on. But after a while, people really – because the emails – and these were these long, detailed emails. Uh, they were screenshot and put up on the internet. And the whole thing did sort of turn into something where people, I think, all over the world were starting to watch this. Um, and and it did have certain elements of bullying and entitlement. Would those be words that you would choose, Tracy Wu Fastenberg? Absolutely. This guy – I mean, he's he's a Harvard professor. So clearly he's intelligent. He's doing well for himself. Um, and he's bearing down on this family-owned Chinese restaurant. You know, th- this guy came over from China when he was three years old. He's about our age, same same age as Mr. Edelman about. And um, this guy's just basically throwing all this jargon at him in these emails like, I'm a smart attorney and I know all this stuff and you owe me $3. All I can think of is that, what's the 80s movies? I want my $2, the, the paper guy, the little paper boy. And that's, I just feel like that little paper boy probably grew up to be Ron Edelman. Um, and just the fact that he was so rude and condescending in every single one of the emails saying I contact the, contacted the authorities, you know, what you're offering isn't good enough. You should have done that at, at the beginning. And Mr. Duan was just so polite and respectful through every single piece of correspondence. And even his sort of public statements about, you know, we've been offered free website things. We've been offered, you know, donations. We're not a business in trouble. We're making it. We just are happy to serve our customers. I mean, it really is, is a really good contrast between being classy and being a jerk. And that's that's the only way that I can use to describe Mr. Edelman is he he's being a jerk throughout this whole thing. It, it is uh, – some of the language that he uses, James, it does sort of um – Sound like it comes from a lawyer and from Harvard, Harvard, Harvard Business School. He, at one point, uh, when Ron Duan had um, apologized repeatedly and offered to refund the money, Edelman wrote back that um, just refunding the money was an exceptionally light sanction for the violation that has occurred. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think entitlement sort of describes it. I mean, there's a sort of social uh, pecking order at work here, too, which is kind of distasteful. But I have to say, there's something funny that happens sometimes with some people who are wronged in some way. Like, for instance, we've had occasion on at Sunny Studio a couple of times to have to change program unexpectedly, which is beyond our control. We don't do it to annoy people. It just happens. And so we try our best to explain it. But there is sometimes somebody who is 
who takes it as a sort of personal thing, so much so that they will engage in an argument uh, and and sort of as if, you know, and, and as a an operator of a business, I will sort of accommodate in every way. And I think as this restaurant operator did, you know, you are essentially trying to make the customer happy. But at the same time, if this customer keeps on going on and saying as if you have personally attempted to subvert this process and that you've personally insulted the customer, you know, there are some people who act like that. And I think it comes from lots of different places. Sometimes people are incredibly insecure and they feel they have to make a public performance. Um, In Edelman's case, it has a sort of like a superior kind of entitlement thing that he's trying to make out that this guy is an ignorant person who's not taken care of his business responsibilities. And so I'm going to take it upon myself to educate him publicly. And it just has a sort of nasty, leaves a nasty sort of air to it that I'm so glad that so many people have stood up for this guy who cooks good food, you know, has a lot of good customers and who've gone out, they've gone out of their way to support him. And now I noticed there was one thing I was noticing in defense of Edelman saying that, oh, this is terrible because it's going to ruin his future career, you know, that somehow he's going to be damaged by this. But actually, his behavior perhaps is it's good that people see this, that see that people who have entitlement and who have this feeling that they can go that they actually can be exposed like this. I mean, sometimes. You know, these the, these things that blow up on social media, they actually do illustrate something that makes people talk about something important, which is how you treat your customers, but also how you treat the people you do business with. Um, Carolyn uh, Payne often feels that she's here when bad things happen in Boston and she has to explain why <laughs> people in Boston are like this. But I don't think this is I mean, this is a story of one guy being a jerk in Boston, but it's uh, by and large. I mean, I, the, 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 the interesting thing about the Internet is if you look at the Internet, if you see what happens on the Internet, it is easy, easy to come to a pretty misanthropic state of mind. People are just completely horrible on the Internet. You look at Gamergate. You look at – just it all – but really there's also a kind of crowdsourcing of morality that goes on, the, on the, and ethics uh, that goes on on the Internet. And in some ways, this is kind of a good story. Yeah. Um, I'm a native Bostonian and – Boston people have rallied behind the restaurant owner in this, and I think his business will expand because of this. I think that how he handled himself in this awful email exchange, and the fact that this was all predicated on $4 overcharge. On a $50 tab, which means he wasn't eating all that food himself, so split between two people, that's like two bucks. Yeah, so... <laughs> Sorry, I'm with you on on the rage on this, <laughs> but and, and I do think it's wonderful that people are supporting it and seeing. And I, I think it's good when we see things like this because I think it is it, it helps anyone because you know you get sometimes you've been in situations where you feel wronged or you feel you know an, an, an injustice and you are tempted to kind of lash out about it. I mean, we've we've all been there. Like you you just want to like take to email and email this person and tell them how awful they are. <laughs> and this helps you think twice before doing that. I think that we should all take this as a lesson that you, sometimes people are doing the best they can. Yeah. Mistakes happen. Exactly. Mm-hmm. We all just need to calm down. <laughs> And you could oh, actually yeah. have a conversation with the person and say, by the way, the I was overcharged. Uh, you know, uh, you might want to check your website because the prices are out of date. Roll or something. Right, exactly. Yeah. Some wonton soup. You're totally. good. Yeah. You're good. I mean, my, my aunt and uncle, when I was little, owned a Chinese restaurant down in the Philadelphia area. And, and I remember watching them work so hard day and night and they were always there. And that's what I think of when I'm thinking of this family. You know, they're busting their butts to make a living and run a business. 
they're not sitting there necessarily going, oh, my website is, is out of date. And how many other websites would you go on to look at the menu are out of date? And you're mm-hmm. going to get riled up about every single one. Yeah, so, and I think that he even admitted that their website has had the you know prices discla- subject. Yep. Yep. The, yeah. the disclaimers are usually right. there. Um, uh, we are going to switch topics fairly soon, but if you wanted to chime in, 860-275-7266. 860-275-7266. I do think that um, Edelman's role as sheriff of the Internet is not incidental here. And I, I do think that people who who acknowledge the power that their role has over them have a hard time shifting out of it. My guess is that, you know, with Inspector Javert, if he got overcharged for Madeleines or something, you know, he <laughs> he probably was a lot like this too. That and, and that one of the problems that they have is in differentiating size and people and humanism. I mean, Facebook, taking on Facebook is admirable and the stuff that Edelman did in terms of pointing out stuff that Facebook was, did, that was, do, was doing that was a you know, pretty huge violation of privacy. And I think he's also done some other stuff with Google where uh, he caught them like they used to shade the color of their ads so you'd know it was an ad and then they stopped doing that. He was the guy who kind of caught them at that. And, but he also, he makes $800 an hour as a business consultant in, in addition to his Harvard gig. And, and I think, you know, I mean, he's, that probably makes him kind of a one percenter to a certain degree. And at a certain point, you kind of lose sight of the realities that Tracy's talking right. about. Absolutely. That, you know, people are out there just, you know, Facebook should have its act together, you know, given its valuation and stuff like that. These people, you know, they're doing the best they can, and, yeah, they didn't update the menu. It seems like a kind of a different thing and a different scale. But people who become this Inspector Javert, it's just very hard for them to sh- kind of shift out of well, that role. It, it's also a shame, I think, that when you do have somebody who is capable of actually criticizing a behemoth like Facebook or Google and actually can get to the meat of the issue as to exactly what they're doing, it's a shame that somebody like that has been somewhat tarnished now by such a stupid, petty squabble. I, I do think you know one of the stories that we're not taking on this week is it just wasn't time and, and, and room and it really – requires uh, maybe a whole show that we need to talk about sort of some of the plagiarism scandals that's happened. But this week, Malcolm Gladwell was among uh, the people uh, added to the list of New Yorker writers accused of plagiarism or something that kind of looks like plagiarism. But one of the things that I I noticed with that story is there are these two guys who have a site, uh, and and they, they run it anonymously, and they are sheriffs of this. You know, and they can be pretty unrelenting. And I was sort of looking at the way they were criticizing Gladwell and sort of thinking, well, is this is that plagiarism exactly or is it something else? You know, are they are they going too far? Are they turning into Inspector Javert? You know, after you've caught Jonah, Jonah Lair, you've caught this other person. Now you're going to get Malcolm Gladwell, too. And I, I think that thing does sort of acquire a, a kind of momentum and power after a while. All right. We have one more topic. And we're actually going to get to all four topics, which is unusual for us. So, um this uh, is in uh, the area of football, uh, and it uh, takes place in Oklahoma, uh, Oklahoma City specifically. Uh, I think I can sort of sketch out, even without looking at notes, or what happened uh, in a game between uh, two high school football powers, uh, Frederick Douglass and Locust Grove. Um, the referees made a mistake, they, and they made what they did was they made a mistake uh, uh, that ha- it involved a coach pacing up and down the sidelines and, and smash, smacking into the referee. And, and the referees made a mistake, mistake in the way that they, ex- they uh, assessed the penalty. It was a penalty, 
uh, but they used it to negate a touchdown by the Frederick uh, Douglass team instead of assessing it on the kickoff that would have followed the touchdown. So, And everybody now agrees that was a mistake. The touchdown should not have been wiped out. Uh, and possibly if that had happened, the outcome would have been different. So Frederick Douglass High School uh, went to court. They, and and they, they, they went to court and sued for the right to replay the last 66 seconds uh, of the game. Um, the court has since then ruled. It was a New York Times article earlier this week. But since that time, the court has ruled. Maybe I'll just sort of like save that like I'm Judge Judy or something and kind of uh, tell you what happened. But um, so I don't know who wants to go first on this one. <laughs> This one has me a little bit more enraged also because because it's a football game. It's not it's not it's a high school. It's a high school football, football game. game. And I actually don't care even if it were an NFL football no. game. I understand more money's involved there. But again, not a football fan. And yet I seem to wind up with a lot of football related topics when I'm on. Um, but this is a high school football game. I understand the students are disappointed and the players are going to be disappointed, but it doesn't belong in court. You know, you think about taxpayers' dollars, all of the resources from a public school system that are going to go into this, and the students could have a valuable learning teaching moment here where, you know what, sometimes people make mistakes, sometimes adults make mistakes, and you still have to live with the consequences, but at the end of the exactly. day, it's going to be okay. You can't just kick and scream about things that don't go your way. And at the end of the day, I don't think any of these because, kids' futures are going to be that affected by it. Because if you don't learn that lesson, if you don't learn not to kick and scream when things don't go your We're way, going you, to grow be up ben to be, you grow up to be Ben Edelman. You grow up to be Ben Edelman. Yeah, I don't know. Is there another thing to say? I mean, I think she sort of summed it up pretty well. I don't know if there's another thing to say about it or not. Um, no, I, I agree entirely. I mean, I, I, I just think there's an expectation um, in in some quarters to do with football in particular. I think it's particularly intense there. There is that expectation that it, it isn't really a game, that it's kind of like it's competitive on a different level. Therefore, it's worthy of litigation. But the in, in the midst of education, the particular nature of being able to educate young people that – you know, things happen and you deal with them and things like, like you know, it's like you can't actually parse all of this and actually make everything absolutely fair. What kind of a lesson is that? I totally agree. I mean, it's, it's yeah, crazy. Yeah, sometimes you just don't get a do-over. Yeah, and you, you right. know it was wrong and everybody knows it was wrong, but you move on. And that's something that says that what you were playing was a game. <laughs> Not like, you know. Well, I, I think also it does... Uh, you know, as you said, sometimes you don't get a do-over. But I think we live in a do-over society more and more. And I think in the world of sports, more things are redressable than used to be. Most sports are now adding at least some form of instant replay. If somebody makes a mistake on the field, at the professional level anyway, a lot of things are now reviewed. You know, people, they look at the video over and over again. Uh, and uh, basketball games are really getting slowed down sometimes. Well, they have to stop and look and did the clock expire before the shot got taken, that kind of thing. So there's this kind of sense that that things can be reviewed, things can be redressed, that the first decision that gets made doesn't have to be the last word, that no doesn't mean no, yes doesn't necessarily mean yes. And, and maybe I'm forcing a comparison here, but that does seem to me to be the kind of Ben Edelman problem, right? Is that, you know, no, no, this isn't the last word, and, and, and then the, last, the next word is, well, yeah, I'll refund your $4. No, that's not the last <laughs> word either. I want $12. No, exactly. and, and then at one point, I think... What, what Edelman said to the, to the proprietor of the restaurant was that he wanted 50% he wanted 50 off. He wanted his entire order. Yeah. Uh, he wasn't even sure what he wanted. Yeah. It's like yeah. he kept on changing the playing field <laughs> right. here and saying, oh, uh, by the way, 50% off. Uh, 
it's it's like it was like a, a toddler's tantrum kind of thing about negotiating with a parent, you know, about what what he what he was going to get. It with was a lot so of references to Massachusetts statutes. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, oh. But I think the Oklahoma thing does have a little something in common. This kind of sense that yes, we I don't agree. ever have to yeah. take the first answer for the answer. There's another answer and another answer, and that we really can be that toddler, you know, stamping our foot and holding our breath until we get what we want. And and I, I'm you know Frederick Douglass. I'm sure those are they're perfectly nice kids and perfectly nice uh, administrators and, and and I'm not suggesting that they're all going to grow up to be Ben Edelman but um, but there's there's that lesson that's being taught over and over again don't don't accept the the answer that you're given and obviously questioning authority is good something we actually all approve of here but there's sometimes as you suggested that you have to accept the harsh reality that <laughs> you just didn't win this game and Tracy, somebody made a mistake right uh, tracy raised another important point which is where does the money come on come from for litigating this i mean in a public school system it seems really like Amazing that they would have the resources to do that. I mean, think about where that money could be going. Yeah. Maybe some new football uniforms or something, computers, whatever, but not not, not litigation. <laughs> All right. We should probably stop here. Uh, we have to take a little break here. When we come back, we will be uh, talking about our endorsements. We all have endorsements, don't we? We do. Yes. Harvard Business School charged me $58,879 for tuition this year. It's supposed to be only $58,875. I want my $4. Today's show was produced by Betsy Kaplan and me, Kyone Wolf. Our intern is John Francois. Greg Hill appeared in the intro and tweets for us at WNPR Colin. The part of Bill Curry was played by Jake Gyllenhaal. For show pages, articles, and videos of the Faith Middleton Show staff making Anaconda Turducken, visit our website, WNPR.org. On Monday show, The Scramble takes a sacred journey with Bruce Feiler. And now, back to Colin. So anaconda turducken would be a chicken inside a duck inside a turkey inside an anaconda. Um, yeah, <laughs> that is good eating. All right, it's time for our endorsements. So with us, I should quickly say, remind you all, Tracy Wu, Fastenberg, James Hanley, and Carolyn Payne. So um, let's go with the Tracy Wu, Fastenberg first. And then we'll see if uh, Carolyn is still awake by the time we get to her. She's <laughs> been working very, very hard this week. But sustaining herself just on coffee. Yeah. Um, I have to endorse for the end of the year is making your end of the year charitable, charitable contributions for uh, before your tax deductibility for 2014 is up. Um, whether it's to WNPR, whether it's to a local organization, you can make a gift in honor of someone you love or buy them a membership to someplace like, oh, I don't know, the Mark Twain house. Um, but making sure you do that and, and just taking a moment this holiday season to um, – to give back as well as to, you know, do the material shopping that we all do. Yeah, I really, it, you know, if you have that moment to do it too and take a little time, it really, it's almost kind of fun to figure out what your values and priorities are. You know, let's say you're going to make five or six of those donations at the end of the year. Um, for example, the World Food Program, as some people know, started run, ran out of money earlier this week, couldn't feed Syrian refugees and stuff like that. And so I'm thinking, eh, maybe. 
Uh, maybe that's a, not a bad idea. Uh, and I give also, even before Ebola, I was uh, a donor to Doctors Without Borders. They're great, too. And But you also want to do some of the cultural institutions right around here, too. So I second that endorsement. Um, James. I will third it, absolutely. I think it's really important to think about that and to think about all the work that people do. I mean, I, I find it incredible that people volunteer to go to West Africa to fight Ebola and uh, people who work hard at all kinds of things that they really believe in. Um, and one other thing I was going to say, too, that uh, sort of related about things you do that really can change things. I was really horrified, like many people, I, uh, I'm sure, about the the torture report that came out and horrified that the attempt to say, oh, it was all in the past and that uh, to give it a uh, some sort of uh, acronym, I think it's EIT instead of torture. Um, this is something that is stuck on us. We have to do stuff about that. And this is the time to call your representatives and call people your political representatives and say how you feel about stuff like this and to stay, say how you feel about things like, you know, the banking bill that went through, which had a rollback on the controls against runaway banking practices, things like that. Whatever your view about it, even if you support it, actually show that you really care about that. And one last thing, too, is that there's a great movie about apprenticeship that I, I, is, I absolutely love called Keep On Keeping On that we're showing at Sunny Studio uh, Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday evenings uh, about a young apprentice who's learning from the uh, trumpeter Clark Terry. And it's a very touching film, but it's such an extraordinary example of how to learn about being a genius with your own talent, but being able to express it from somebody who's an expert. It sounds like the anti-whiplash. Yes. Yeah, I mean, it's sort yeah. of the opposite, opposite of uh, uh, reverse of whiplash. Yes. But we should also, you should also mention Nightcrawler. Particularly, did, was Gone Girl in the flyer that went out? Because we don't want you yes. to have one of those. So uh. we, we don't want to <laughs> ha- you to have one of those conversations <laughs> at the box office that you were just describing. So let's Mr. get that straightened Edelman, out right maybe. now. <laughs> no, uh, we actually, instead of Gone Girl, which we will be showing in the future, a future date, we're showing Nightcrawler, which is the amazing Dan Gilroy film, a film noir with um, a, an amazing quality about uh, really ambulance chasing for a, for a photographer for TV. Um, and uh, Jake Gyllenhaal is absolutely stunning in it. We're playing that uh, tonight and tomorrow, twice tomorrow, 2.30 and 7.30. All right, Carolyn Payne, it's down to you. All right. I am, of course, endorsing uh, Kinetic Dance's Nutcracker Sweet and Spicy. It is at the Etna Theater at the Wadsworth Athenaeum. It is tonight is opening night at 8 p.m. Uh, 8 p.m. And following is a after party at Nix's on Front Street. And it's sponsored by Onyx. So I suggest that everyone come to that, too. We also have a show tomorrow night, Saturday at 8 and Sunday at 2, which is an ugly sweater Christmas party. So we're encouraging the audience to wear ugly sweaters like what we wear on stage. And um, Nora Cupcake sponsored the show and has donated free cupcakes. So there will be free cupcakes at all performances. So in case you are on the fence about coming, come for the cupcake <laughs> and see some really great dancing. And it's a lot of fun. Um, I, I want to see that all three of you should be endorsed because you represent organizations that really do bring a lot of fun and excitement. And uh, I mean, people always talk about Hartford like there's nothing to do here. The fact is there's too much to do in Hartford. You can never do it all. I think doesn't the Mark Twain House have Marlon James? Tonight? Is that tonight? Tonight. Uh, tonight. So Marlon James, who's got one of the it books of the year. Uh, out right now will be appearing uh, at uh, at the Mark Twain House tonight. Uh, it's considered a real front runner book for the Pulitzer, so uh, we should endorse that too, so that 
Tracy doesn't get yelled at when she gets home. <laughs> uh, I mean, home to work. Um, I will quickly um, endorse uh, a few things. One of them is um, the uh, I'm so late to this party, but the podcast 99% Invisible. If you listen to podcasts at all, it's a podcast about design. I would recommend the, the one of the most recent ones. It's actually not the most recent anymore. Uh, these are these wonderful sort of a, This American Lifestyle reporting or Radio Labs style reporting about design. They did one on the history of those weird kind of inflatable thrashing around men that you see outside uh, you know, car dealerships and, and coliseums. They're called tall boys by some people. There are different names for them, but these, these elongated men who have air being pumped through them so that their arms are flailing around and thrashing around in this disturbingly Promethean way. Uh, anyway, it, it explains the whole history of that and it's where they come from and who invented them and all that kind of stuff. Um, the online magazine, and I, I don't even really know for sure how to pronounce it. It's A-E-I-O-N. I always say Ion. Uh, it really has – you just have to go to their site and see what they've got there. I think it's the best online magazine about the kinds of things that this show tends to be interested in, culture and ideas. Uh, and they're just the, – the things that they uh, – how Egyptology can help us future-proof our culture, genes that jump species, does this shake the tree of life. I'm just looking at what they've got on their front page right now. A-E-I-O-N. Go check it out. And then lastly, I'll just quickly tell you a story. Uh, I'm a big fan of a podcast by a British comedian named Frank Skinner. So apropos of the Mark Twain house, maybe, uh, he, ha- he had this piece of advice recently. He said, you go to a museum and then you go to the gift shop and you often see something in the gift shop that you didn't see in the museum. You see a painting that's now emblazoned on a coffee mug or a, you know, a tote bag or something. And you say, wait a minute, I didn't see that painting. That looks really great. So his suggestion is go to the gift shop first, see what they put on, see what they really feature on all their postcards and stuff like that, and then go to the museum and make sure you don't miss it. I never thought about that before. All right. Interesting idea. Thanks to Tracy, to James and Carolyn. We'll be back on Monday with The Scramble. Not too bad here in the Anaconda. Oh, hey, Craig. Hey, Kayon. Uh, how you been? Of all the Anacondas in the world to get eaten by, it's got to be the one with my ex-boyfriend in it. <laughs>